0: Paranorm Podcast contains content that might not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. This is Paranorm Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Paranorm, the podcast where we chat all things true crime and paranormal. I'm Emily. I'm Sierra. And this week we are talking some murder. Murder. (laughs) (laughs) Because, I mean, why the fuck not? We talked about murder last last week and I'm feeling some more murder vibes. Well, we did like two kind of two ghosts in a row, so two murders in a row seems fine. I mean, if anybody feels like arguing with me, don't. You could always just, like, go to a ghost one, and then go to a murder one, and then go to a ghost one, and or then to a one. Or you could just not listen. I'm in a mood. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> anyway, so I'm fine. Um, I had my second interview for this job today. And she's amazing. She's going to get it. They're going to pay her a million dollars. They loved her. I think they did like me. I don't think they're going to pay me a million dollars, because that's pretty much... It's like, it's kind of weird because it's kind of, it's a for-profit company, but it's also like, I imagine they probably have like, I don't know if they get grants or things. I don't know if yeah. for-profit companies can get grants. I have a bug bite. How did I get a bug bite? I, I, have I was outside. totally bored. <laughs> <laughs> Snuck into your room poked you and poked me okay anyway for profit but not for profit no i I don't know yeah it is but i don't know anyway um but you're good yeah we got a new roommate guys she's Mm -hmm. wonderful her name is lydia we love her so so sweet um but yeah uh this week has been good question mark i made brownies oh my god she made brownies she made beef stew and okay, so <laughs> so I had to explain to Sierra and I had to explain to Emily. Yes, that um here down south, mm-hmm. you, when you eat where beef everything stew, is crazy. Yes. Where everything is crazy. Um when you eat beef stew, you don't just eat it like like regular stew. Yeah, you eat beef stew and rice. So I was sitting in there and I was like, well, I mean, we just had rice last night, but okay. Sierra wants to make beef stew. That's fine. I mean, cause I could eat white rice literally every single day. Motherfuckers. Um, but yeah. So then I was like, well, she hasn't cooked any rice. like." <laughs> <laughs> and then she, like, I come into the kitchen and she has the cornstarch out. Oh, no, it was flour, flour out. And um, I'm like, what are you doing? She goes thickening it. I'm like, why and she goes because I don't like soup I'm like we're not having soup we're having beef stew and rice like what totally caught off guard (laughs) basically if you can add another starch to it southerners are gonna do it (laughs) I I honestly didn't know like like, I mean whatever but like I was like do you want me to call my mom to verify (laughs) I believe you I'm just (laughs) startled I mean, we love us some starch. That's fine, but I I don't know. I didn't think it was necessary. (laughs) Luckily, I had already made rice the night before, so. Because we had had rice the night before. (laughs) I had extra rice (laughs) in the fridge to be had, which was good because it was just enough, basically. Yeah, because I had leftovers today, too. Mm -hmm. So I've had rice three days in a row. I just realized that. (laughs) Good thing you're not a bird um birds fucking suck well i've been attacked multiple times that was not my phone that was your phone i've been attacked multiple times by birds so 10 out of 10 would not recommend anyway it's been a good week (laughs) next week we leave for vacation Mm -hmm. it's gonna be wonderful um i'm excited yeah me too we have something really really exciting for you guys planned (laughs) um i'm so pumped anyway so any any other news my license plate finally came i don't think it's going to be quite as fun as the phd one that i had um you never know though i never know it could have 666 in it or 22 or 22 22 is my lucky number okay i can't i can't think of anything specifically now yeah same That's pretty much all the announcements. I've been to Target like six times this week, It's really been an issue. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I got new bedding and new pillows for our couch, guys. And I was really fucking psyched about it. And that's how you know you're getting old. Uh, (laughs) So, (laughs) okay, on to this really sad... I bought a cookbook and was excited about it. Oh, my God. Oh, that's it. Okay, so anybody that's ever listened to me talk knows that I love Queer Eye. It's, like, one of my favorite shows, and I can't make it through a single episode without crying, mm-hmm. um, as Sierra knows. the can they, so it's fine. I mean, it's, it's fine. Um, so Sierra bought me Anthony's cookbook. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited about it. I cannot wait to cook every single recipe in there. Um, I mean, honestly, I bought it for me, but that's fine. Too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so on to this really, really sad case, okay? All right. Yeah, because it's really fucked up. Okay, good. Okay, yeah. Just, just how we want to start our day. Our, end our day. Um, end our end. day. <laughs> I may or may not have put too much moonshine in my, my wine. The start of the end. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and action. <laughs> okay, so Jesse Gates. Jesse Gates. Is not a murder victim. Okay. Okay, Jesse Gates, October, sometime in October, uh-huh. nineteen eighty-three, seemed like that night seemed like any other in Griffin, Georgia. Oh, yep, mm-hmm. yep. So been there, actually. Have you? I'm, sure I'm impressed. I have. I have too, multiple <laughs> well, times. Um, I mean. This is fucked up, okay? So, the former Spalding County Sheriff's deputy was out driving when he came upon his good friend, Timothy Coggins, walking down the street. Recognizing his vehicle, Coggins waved him down, and they had been friends for, like, a long time. So, Gates said he pulled over, and Coggins asked him for a ride to a dance club outside of town called People's Choice, which is also a magazine. And an award. And an award. Um, during the roughly 15-minute drive over, Gates, who was one of the county's few black officers at the time, said Coggins, also a black man, mentioned that he was dating a white woman. Okay. Again, this is the 80s mm. in the middle of nowhere, Georgia. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think we all know where this is going. Quote, I said, man, you need to watch yourself on dating them sisters like that because we live in Griffin, Georgia and not Atlanta. And some people just don't accept things like that, Mm -hmm. Gates said. As Gates pulled up to the club, he noticed that three white men hanging around outside. He thought that it was strange. He said because, quote, white guys did not come to that club Mm. and felt uneasy about the whole scene. But Coggins got out of the car and headed in. Gates never saw him again. That's true. Quote, I had no way of knowing that I had dropped that boy off to his death, he said. Mm-hmm. Coggins was found brutally murdered near a power line in an open area in Sunnyside, Georgia, a few miles outside of Griffin, on October 9th, 1983, the area is marked by an oak tree that was well-known gathering place for drug deals and parties. Mm. So he had suffered multiple stab wounds and was tortured, his body chained to the back of a vehicle and dragged before it was dumped in a wood pile, according to the Spalding County officer. Former Spaulding County Sheriff's Deputy Oscar Jordan, another one of the few black officers on the force at the time, said he was called into the coroner's office and asked to identify the body. Mm-hmm. Quote, he had seven stab wounds to the front of his chest, and then he had a cross cut out across the chest. Okay. Uh, and then on his back, it was the same way. I was later told that it represented the Confederate flag, Jordan said. Quote, when I reported back to the sheriff, I told him I did not know who that individual was. There was no way that I could know because he was so disfigured. Uh, okay. So, like, not only did they murder this man, they fucking tortured him. So, the worst, quote, the worst part about it is they didn't kill him, he added. The autopsy showed he bled out, thrown behind a woodpile, left to die. Coggins was just 23 years old. Wow. Yeah. After his body was found, sheriff's deputies went door to door in Griffin, trying to identify Coggins. Eventually, they knocked on his sister's door. Coggins' brother Tyrone Coggins said his death took a heavy toll on the family. Which I mean, it's a 23-year-old brother. Right. Um. Quote: We were very shocked. We were like, "Who would hurt this guy?" He said, "You know, this was Tim. This was a smooth guy. The guy that never bothered bothered anybody. Always helped somebody." His sister, Talisa Coggins, remembers her brother, Tim, as someone who was very sweet and outgoing. He was the kind of person, quote, who would get along with anybody. Gotcha. In fact, she had been at the People's Choice Club with him that night he disappeared. Mm. She said she remembered a white woman started going to the club and she thought her brother was teaching the woman how to dance that night. She said she also remembered a white man looking for her brother and that same white man walking out of the club with him as she went to the restroom. Okay. Quote, by the time I got out the door, they was gone. So the Sheriff's Office and Georgia Bureau of Investigations, the GBI, if you will, um, gathered evidence and conducted multiple interviews in the Coggins case, but weeks turned into months and no arrests were made. Again, this is the middle of nowhere Georgia in the 80s. Well, and nobody probably either... Somebody was bragging, but nobody wanted to say anything, or nobody was saying anything at all. Yes. Um, so, Gates, who was an active sheriff's deputy in the 80s, said he believes Coggins' death was centered around the white woman and money. Notes from officers who had been working the case at the time indicated their theory was Coggins had taken money as a part of a drug deal. And Coggins was known for making, like, small drug deals around town, authorities had said. This is not 100% confirmed. Allegedly, allegedly Um, Jordan, who was also an active sheriff's deputy in the 80s, said, quote, we never learned where the money went to. But I can recall being told that Tim was absolutely terrified and he was desperately trying to get up that money. Gates and Jordan worked the case for weeks until they started getting close to finding a suspect and were taken off. Gates said he said he believes it was someone who lived in a trailer park near the area where Coggins was found. So, quote, you had a lot of vicious people in that trailer park, and I knew somebody in that trailer park called that sheriff. What? So, somebody in the trailer park called the sheriff and was like, hey, they're getting too close to this shit. Oh, okay, gotcha. Um, Jordan said he was told the investigation had, quote, reached a dead end. They haven't even been doing it that long. Yeah whereas gates said he was told quote it wasn't my job to investigate this case because i was a road deputy and i was a, i wasn't a so-called investigator i don't think the attention that should have been put on this case was put on this case quote probably due to you know the color No probably most definitely um that well, that and, or and or just like the whoever was on the other side yes probably. Yeah. Yeah. So months turned into years, then decades without any rest. So the case sat dormant for 33 years. Mm. Uh, Then in 2016, the Coggins case was re-examined and the new investigative leads began to emerge. So GBI special agent Jared Coleman, who was assigned to re-examine Coggins case, said he alerted the Then newly elected Spalding County Sheriff Daryl Dix when he thought he had a new lead. Dix didn't hesitate to take a fresh look. So, quote, my motivation was to solve this case without a doubt. And without a doubt is the fact that it is the right thing to do. Dix said, he goes on to say, I believe that there is a lot of honor involved in doing it. I want to give closure to the Coggins family. I want to let Timothy rest in peace. And by doing that, I want to be doing the right thing. Okay. Yes. Dick said that in the years since the murder, some of the evidence that had been collected had gone missing. But he said that officials found something that gave them insight into the Spalding County Sheriff's Department and the local police department at the time that Tim Coggins was killed. Quote, we were looking everywhere that we could and we went where there are some old property, like archived downtown. Mm-hmm. Dick said, quote, And while we were looking for stuff dealing with the case, we came up with this small black notebook. Okay. So the notebook turned out to be the diary a former sheriff's deputy kept in the 1980s. His writings detailed how he had infiltrated the local KKK KKK, Mm -hmm. uh, to gather information and learn that the KKK might have infiltrated the police department. Okay. Which, again, not that surprising, because it's the middle of Georgia in the 1980s. <sighs> Guys, I used to live in Georgia, so I can talk shit about it, okay? So, um, one entry dated Thursday, May 20th, 1982, said that one of the local KKK leaders boasted about having, quote, a number of good clan in the police and sheriff's department. <laughs> Well, at this point, unsure of who to trust, we'll try and find out who is in who in the department is Klan. The entry continued. So, Dick said it spoke to the climate in the area at the time, which mm-hmm. obviously the diary had been written about a year before Coggins Bounty was found. Mm-hmm. Uh, quote: Racist white men basically controlled the city, ran the businesses, and you had these elected officials that were racist white men that pretty much controlled everything said Cynthia Ward, a city commissioner who was also Coggins' cousin. Quote, Mm -hmm. a young black man being killed that was not important to them and they didn't care about bringing the media in to see what happened because it was just another black dead person. In the reexamining of the case, GBI Special Agent Coleman found that a convicted child molester felon named Christopher Vaughn had come forward to the GBI in 2007 Saying he had information on who killed Coggins. Mm. So Coleman said Vaughn had been interviewed by law enforcement a few times in the past, but nothing was ever done with the information. Okay. After interviewing Vaughn on April 26, 2017, Coleman turned his attention to Frank. Oh, God. I read this name earlier and I was like, there's going to be no way in hell I can pronounce this name later. Gebhardt? Jibhardt? I think Jeb Hart sounds funny, so we're going to go with Jeb Hart. And William Bill Moore, Sr., two local men, local authorities, said were known to have, quote, intimidating reputations. Okay, then. Yes. Quote, Mr. Moore and Mr. Jeb Hart both... <laughs> Jeb Hart. <laughs> we'll be right back. Okay. Both have an extensive criminal history. Mr. Jeb Hart had been interviewed back in 1983, but no real further investigative acts pursued the investigation, Coleman had said. Okay? Okay. So Christopher Vaughn, Christopher Vaughn lived at a house that was right around the corner of Carrie's Mobile Heart Home Park, which is the last known location that Coggins was seen alive. Okay? Okay. So Vaughn told Coleman that... Jeb Hart, Jeb Hart, whatever the fuck it is, racist white man, number two, number two, had told him Coggins was having sex with his girlfriend at the time, Ruth Elizabeth Guy, also known as Mickey. I don't know how the fuck you get Mickey from Ruth Elizabeth Guy. Probably uh, Mickey Mouse. Mm, okay. And that's why Jeb Hart, mm-hmm, racist man number two, And more racist guy number one, killed him. Coleman said they believed the white woman Coggins danced with at the club that night was the last seen and was last seen with was Ruth. Okay. Okay. So, quote, that was the tipping point for the murder. I mean, while you shouldn't be with other people's girlfriends, I don't think that murder is... Murder is definitely not it. Yeah. Also, do you guys know that my freaking boyfriend had the audacity to ask me the other day? He was like, Would you rather me do heroin or cheat on you? What? Yeah. I am. What? what? <laughs> is neither an option? <laughs> right? <laughs> Like something a little slower. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was a really fun conversation we were having in bed. <laughs> wow. Right before we went to sleep too. So it's <laughs> like, huh? That makes me very interested in having a relationship with mm. someone else. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Coleman goes on to say, we do know that in a week or two, after the murder occurred, that Mickey guy left the state of Georgia, but she died in 2010. So they couldn't ask her at the time. Yes. Gotcha. Dix suggested people who knew racist guy number one and racist guy number two mm-hmm. back then were scared to come forward for like fear of repercussions. Quote, so when things like this happened, people were scared to talk about what happened, which obviously. Yeah. So racist guy number two. Mm hmm was interviewed by Coleman in 2017. At that time, Racist Guy number 2 was incarcerated on unrelated charges, and Mm -hmm. during his interview, he denied ever hearing about Coggins' murder or even knowing him. What? You live in a small town. Of course, you know who he is. Exactly. Like, how do you not know? Right. God, so dumb. Okay, so, Reese's guys number two, Mm -hmm. um, sister, Mm -hmm. Sandra, said both her brother and Moore denied having anything to do with Coggins' murder. Okay. Okay, so, quote, he told me, I don't have nothing to talk about, and I know nothing. Both of them says they know nothing. Oh, I'm sure they know nothing, for sure. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. So, but Dick said that they decided to monitor Racist Guy Number Two's prison phone calls with Sandra. hmm And she was the one he called most. Okay. So, during one... And I can't even get Grayson to pick up the phone. Ever. Maybe if he was in prison. Because <laughs> he'd be bored out of his mind. Let me call him. Watch him not pick up. Okay, guys. Do you think my brother's going to pick up in this phone call? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can you guys hear that? Mm-hmm. And that guy's is, is my brother. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, no, I don't even think my brother would call me if he was in prison. He never, like, picks up the phone. Um, well, what else is he going to do? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, out, out of the brothers, who do you think I could pick get picked up the phone? Like, if oh, I Mikey. was in prison, you think he would pick up the phone? Yeah. Are we about to prove a point here? <laughs> I don't think he's going to. But I think he's the most likely. Most likely? Yeah. I mean it's a Friday night and he's 15, 16. 16. No. Yeah, 16. So I don't th- I mean I don't think you can p- pick it up right now. It's 8:30. So he's None of my brothers love me. Making out with a girl or something. <laughs> he's at the gym, actually. I just looked at a Snapchat story. Um, how okay. I keep up with a 16-year-old. But there are also girls at the gym. There so. are. Anyway, so that goes on to prove my point. My brothers would never pick up the phone in real life. Or not in real life. Um, in everyday life. There we go. Um, let alone call me when they're in prison. <laughs> um, anyway, so. So what did they find? During one of these calls, Bun, which is the mm-hmm. sister, uh, was heard telling her brother, quote, keep your mouth shut. Y'all agree to no test. Mm-hmm. Which DNA? Um, y'all agree to nothing. She advised her brother to avoid getting an investiga- giving any investigators his DNA through means such as accepting drinks, woodwood would transfer mm-hmm. his, his saliva. In the end, Dix attained a court order to get his DNA sample mm. from racist guy number two. Gotcha. So, quote, I have never had this much trouble out of one sheriff in my life, and I have never and I have been living here all my life, said Bun. Mm. Uh, never had I had this much trouble. Daryl Dix is playing the media to this. He uh, to make him look good, to get the black folks, and they just hearing Daryl Dix's side, they hearing nothing else. I'm sorry, but you're you you do not have a side. No. So, in an unusual move, Dix said the sheriff's department told the media in 2017 that they were close to making an arrest in Coggins' case, even though they still needed more evidence. Their hope was that it would encourage more people to come forward with information and it could lead to an arrest. So, their gamble, which is Mm -hmm. what Dix called it, paid off. Oh, okay. Um, one of those people was Shirley Sisk, who managed the trailer park where Racist Guy Number One had lived. Oh, okay. Um, in an interview with investigators, Sisk said that one God, that was hard. Sisk said, "God, not doing that again." One night in the eighties, she was talking to Brenda Moore, his wife, mm-hmm. Racist Guy Number One's wife, mm-hmm. and Racist Guy's Number Two sister, who she said sounded drunk. Okay. According to Sisk, Brenda Moore told her that her husband and her brother were planning to kill a man. Okay. Quote, she said, I'm telling you, he's going to kill him. They're going to tie him up and they're going to drag him with a car or truck, Sisk said during an interview. Quote, and I'm going to, Brenda, and and I'm going, Brenda, get your drunk A over there and go to bed. Oh, that, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. A drunk person, you just don't know. Uh, You just really brush them off when you've got so many tenants. You really do, she continued. And I don't want to believe none of that, but it was about some boy. Well, it's several times probably. I'm thinking several times because Frankie was always going to beat up somebody, mm. which is Frank racist guy number one. Gotcha. So... Willard Sanders, racist guy's number two's neighbor, Mm -hmm. uh, also came forward to tell authorities that racist guy number two had told him shortly after the murder that he had chained Coggins to the truck, but it was racist guy number one who had killed him. But really, they hadn't because he bled out. Yes. Sanders said he reported uh, racist guy number two to authorities at the time. Mm. So, But they didn't do anything because... Yes. So, racist guy number one and racist guy number two, who were 58 and 59, respectively, Mm -hmm. were charged October 2017 with murder, felony murder, aggravated assault, aggravated battery, and concealing the death of another in Coggins' case. Okay. Okay. When it came time for pre- preparing for trial, Prosecutor Marie G. Broder said that there were challenges. She said that there was neither physical evidence nor DNA that pointed to either one of the racists mm-hmm. um, having committed the crime. Plus, much of the evidence had disappeared years earlier. Okay. Which, as we know now, the KKK was in the Sheriff's Department. Right. So it might have had something to do with them bitches. Mm. Quote, I have clothing from the scene from our victim and I have a sheet used to cover the victim. I have a rock and that's it, she said. So why did they arrest them? Many of the witnesses were also convicted felons, she said, suggesting it would make a jury doubt their testimony. During their interviews, though, she said many of them had pushed her to search a will on Racist Guy number two's property. Mm. We're almost done. I know you're getting antsy. We're almost done. Okay, let's go. Quote, he told too many people that he threw stuff in that well. Mm. Um, Broder was there watching when law enforcement performed an extraction on Racist Guy number two's well. Sifting through items from the well among the pieces of trash, authorities found a knife broken into multiple pieces, a sneaker, and a shirt that appeared to show stabbing marks. Quote, when we spread the shirt out, I was excited but also sad because it's the... Because in the back of the shirt were what appeared to be seven stab wounds. Mm. And according to the autopsy report, Timothy Coggins was stabbed in the back seven times. The fact that it's still there 35 years later, preserved in water. Yeah. I mean, there's not going to be any blood or something, probably, but that's insane, though. Okay, so anyway, Broder said she believes that racist guy number one and racist guy number two targeted Coggins because he was dealing marijuana in white neighborhoods as well as dating white women, and they wanted to send a message to other black people. Quote, Timothy Coggins was a young black man in 1983 who refused to follow societal norms. He was not following the rules of 1983, if you will, Broder said. And she goes on to say, and if you were a Klan member or a racist, any of those things would infuriate you and anger you to the point where Timothy Coggins became a target that needed to be eliminated and a message that needed to be sent. So the Coggins family was subjected to threats following the murder, Mm -hmm. which are we not surprised? Uh, Former Sheriff's Deputy Jordan said Tim Coggins' stepfather received a call in which somebody threatened more family members would die if the investigation into the killing continued. Like they had a choice. Well, they were like l- lobbying for them to solve this case. Mm. Um, I think I have one of your socks. Okay. Okay. Um. So, Talis- Tal- Talisa Coggin said one night someone threw a brick through the window with a message on it saying "You're next." Uh again, do I have to say it again? This is Georgia, middle of nowhere in the 1980s. So, quote, there has always been a racial divide in this community, Dick said. He goes on to say, I've seen huge swings in the pendulum with the ill will between the back black community and the white community. Then I've also seen a lot of black and white community coming together for good. And from my perspective again dealing with Mr. Coggins, we go out and we do the right thing by arresting those people, Bill Moore and Frankie Jebhart, because they thought they were untouchable, and I wanted to send a message, you're not above the law and you're not and you are touchable. So the racist mm-hmm. went to trial in, in the summer of 2018. During the trial, uh, racist guy number two's defense attorney, Larkin Lee, said his strategy was to, quote, attack everything because there seemed to be no smoking gun. So he goes to say, it was basically jailhouse witnesses or people that had a vendetta against Frankie and the scant evidence that eventually recovered from the well that we thought amounted to nothing, said Lee. They had a piece of very tiny, appearing to be old steak knife with. Um, old steak knife that was in Frankie's trash during some time in the 80s he added quote sneakers that don't match anything a chain that they're implying must have been used to drag Mr. Coggins body but they don't match up with the pulley and the bucket that were found also in the well which would make just total sense to find in the well so like the chain was supposed to be for the bucket yeah but it said but you just said that they don't match up So, my opinion, in our defense, what the state put up in all their so-called evidence equaled zero. Hold on, I have to scroll down a little bit because I just repeated myself. So, racist guy number two Mm -hmm. was ultimately found guilty in June 2018 for malice murder, felony murder, aggravated battery, aggravated assault, and concealing the death of another. He was sentenced to life in prison, Plus 30 years. When the verdict was announced in court, Coggins family members wept quietly and turned to hug each other. Um, They go on to say, we never thought that this day would come, which I mean, I mean, yeah, 35 years later, like, yeah. (laughs) Um, So Ryan McComb, the jury foreman, said prosecutors laid out a more compelling argument than the defense. Cool. I think the defense did the best they could at what they had. They threw considerable doubt and considerable doubt. But I think the prosecution had a much better story, and I think that there is enough memory in this case that was backed up by physical evidence or by another person's memory. He said that the juries had counted 17 times Mm. where racist guy number two had admitted to Coggins' murder in one way or another over the year. Wow. Seventeen times. And it took 34 years. So, racist guy number two, who continues to maintain his innocence to this day, was denied a motion for a new trial by the Spalding County Superior Court. His attorney said he felt his client had been used as, quote, retribution for racism of the past. Quote, this was the least evidence against any defendant in any case I've ever been involved with, Lee said. He goes on to say, I don't believe that they actually found the answers that they needed to be found. They may have gotten a conviction, but I don't think it resulted in actual justice as far as who has actually committed this offense. Hmm. So meanwhile, racist guy number one Mm -hmm. agreed to a plea deal. Okay. He pleaded guilty in August 2018 to voluntary manslaughter and concealing Mm -hmm. the body. Yes. Uh, Quote, my client did the best he could have done in this situation to not die in prison, said racist guy number one defense attorney. Quote, "But but he wasn't remorseful because he felt he didn't do anything wrong. So he did it, and he just didn't feel like it was wrong to do. Yes. For a long time, the Coggins family said that they were too scared to place a headstone on Tim's grave for the fear that others in the community would vandalize it, for years, Coggins' death, his grave remained unmarked. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the trial behind them and two men serving time behind bars for killing their beloved uncle, cousin, and brother, the Coggins family felt they could finally put him to rest the way they always wanted to. So, yeah. Oh, also, I don't think I said this, but uh, racist guy number one was sentenced uh, to 20 years in prison and then 10 years probation, which is not enough for actually killing another human being and torturing them, just saying. But yeah, that is this week's case filled with lots and lots of racist people. Um, I figured we should start off Black History Month with a case that reminds us that racism is very real. It is still very prevalent. This shit doesn't happen in the it didn't only happen in the '80s and it's still happening now. Um, it's shit. Yeah. So, that is my case for this week, and it pissed me off a whole bunch. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Thirty five years. I mean, I guess it's better than it going unsolved forever. It so. is better than it going unsolved, yes. But it's pathetic that it had to go that long. Because what if he had been white? Why do you think that, did they just, did they reopen it because of his family or, I mean, I knew you said it was reopened after 33 years, the Bureau. Yeah. Um, the continuing lobbying for the reopening of his case mm-hmm. through activism groups and um, just the Black Lives Matter movement, it was looked at again. So, okay. I didn't know if, like, some things, like, get reviewed, like, on, like, a rolling basis. I'm not sure. I know um, some states are doing, like, that kind of thing for their um, sexual assault cases. Mm -hmm. Because there is a giant, giant, giant backlog on those kind of things Mm -hmm. in this country. Um, But I'm not sure about the murder, unsolved murder cases. Gotcha. Well, then. Yeah. Sierra, plug the things. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure how to comment after that, but, um, anyways, you can fi- find find i not trying to, like, make lo- We're not easy. making I mean, light, it's because it's fucking shit, man. But I don't really know what to say, other than- Also, l- we got told that my cursing makes it seem that we are making light of these cases. And we are not. If you are interested in following our podcast, you can find us... Podcast? Podcast. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook, Paranorm Podcast. Oh my god, we have those. Uh, When I remember to post on them. (laughs) uh, Anyway, uh, so we also have a website that has all the um, episode information, resources. I usually put some pictures on there related to the case, and... um, There's personal resources for you guys. Because, guys, listen to me, okay? There are personal resources on the blog because we care about your mental health. You should care about your mental health. As in the very wise words of Amanda from Wine and Crime, I'm literally wearing my fucking patriarchy shirt right now. Um, Your mental health is not your fault, but it is your responsibility. You guys matter, and we love you. So please check in on your brain okay? None of those resources on the website are tied to us, so we don't know if you click on them. Um, We don't know if you talk to anyone. We just want to make sure you guys are okay. Right, Sierra? Or working towards. Or working towards being okay. Because it's important.
1: And it's hard out there. Oh my
0: god. (laughs) (laughs) Guys. (laughs) (laughs) I got... (laughs) Guys. (laughs) I got called a fucking whore the other day on the phone. So, like, how did you know? But, like, honestly, okay? So, yeah, no. Look out for your mental health, okay? Do it. Yep. All right.